Hey there, I'm Trisha Rose Burt, and I want to ask you a question. What creative work are you called to do but are too afraid to try? Are you an IT but dream of doing stand-up? A PR exec who longs to write a screenplay? Did you change your priorities and now you want to leave your fully funded PhD MD program and go to New Mexico and paint? Or maybe you're like I was in my early career, trapped in a lucrative but soul-crushing corporate job when what I really wanted to do was tell stories on stage. In this podcast, we'll hear from artists who took unexpected leaps and found the courage to answer their creative call so we can inspire you to answer yours. This is no time to be timid. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we talk with Shannon Kaysen, one of the best storytellers I've ever heard, and I've heard a lot of storytellers, and host of the podcast Homemade Stories. Shannon is a master of the craft, and he's been on some of the most exciting stages, Snap Judgment, TEDx, and of course, The Moth, where he and I shared a stage back in 2016. I've been following him and his work ever since, and I just couldn't wait to bring him on the show. I asked Shannon what he thought was the most important trait in sustaining a creative practice, and he said, perspective, the attitude a person brings to their work and their life, and how they handle the rough patches that come their way. And Shannon has had his fair share of rough patches, but with incredible wit and wisdom, he's turned them into works of art that continue to change people's lives. I'm so delighted you're tuning in. Hey, Shannon. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Glad to talk to you all the time. So, yeah, good to hear from you. (laughs) Okay, so I have been listening to all things Shannon Kaysen to prepare for this show, which has just been a complete and total delight. (laughs) And it's all I can do not to just run the whole story But you have a piece called Late Bloomer Mm -hmm. that you put on YouTube. And I'm going to do a quote from Late Bloomer, and then I want you to expound on it a bit. My creative life didn't start till my mid-30s either. The seed was planted early, but it was in a small flower pot. And it wasn't until I was replanted into the bigger garden of Chicago that I really grew roots and sprang up out of the ground and I'm still growing even though it's late that's why I always encourage young people to go do something somewhere else as early as possible get away from home don't wait start early I really encourage all of my listeners to go to Shannon Kaysen's YouTube page Um, There are things that get flashed up in the middle of watching the YouTube story. And in the middle of the late bloomer story, there's a list of everyone who did things later in life. And at the end, it was like Abraham and Sarah had a baby really, really old, which just made me crack up laughing. It was very funny. As someone who didn't get in creative work until I was in my mid-30s as well, I just want you to talk a little bit about how you even got into storytelling in the first place. I'm from Detroit originally. So it's like amazing creativity in Detroit. Um, From music to, you know, arts to, you know, all kinds of different creativity. 
because I think where you see a lot of struggle, you'll see creativity as well, you know, because mm-hmm. the human spirit got to get out in some way. You know, if it's if it's some struggle, it's going to get out in a whole lot of different ways. So so Detroit, Motown, I mean, going way back, you know, into gospel and all those things, some of the greatest artists, I mean, a lot of different areas, but you'll see certain hotbeds around the country and Detroit is definitely a hotbed of creativity. And for me, Detroit was the creative heart of everything I do. Like that's where my creativity kind of sprang from the times in Detroit, living with grandma and seeing my dad and mom and sister and all that kind of stuff. But then when you're in something, it's hard to kind of like express it in a way. So when I moved to Chicago and we can get into, you know, the, 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 all the different intricate stuff that go into that move. But at the same time, when I moved here in Chicago, I didn't feel uh, constrained by just my life. You know, it was like more so like, okay, this is a time to share what I've been through and Chicago has so many different spaces to do it. Like Chicago is like the incubator city where comedy, improv, even storytelling and all these things, literary, you know, people come to Chicago and they kind of become the artists that they're going to be before they go to New York or, or LA. Mm -hmm. So a lot of comedians come, they spent their time in Chicago kind of growing and then they go to New York and LA and they, they spring up. But uh, for me, Chicago was like a space where, dang, I can, I can be, I can be artistic. In Detroit, it's like the work of life. In Chicago, it was more like the, oh, I can show what I've worked on. Yeah. One of the first stories of yours I ever heard was you telling the story, it's like borrowing, about when you were a bank manager and uh, had a little hiccup at the bank. I'm going to let you tell about that experience and then say how you got on stage telling that story. Yeah, well, okay. So like I say, Detroit was like the the work of life. So gambling addiction, always had it when I was young. From back when I was uh, in high school, we would flip quarters or pitch them against the wall and stuff like that. And I would be really into it. We would shoot craps in college. I went to Michigan State University and we would lose a lot of money. I mean, a lot, you know, relatively to us, if you lose two hundred dollars and you're a college student, that that was might have been your <laughs> check for the whole week. You know that gambling addiction for me was was kind of uh, held at bay for a while while I was really heavily involved in the church that I was in. But then when I kind of left the church for whatever reason, I I ended up going back to gambling and. I worked at a bank. So working at a bank and gambling <laughs> is not the best, <laughs> not the best uh mixture. Me being a manager at the bank, you know, with all this access to all the money. What it was was a lascivious thought. Lasciviousness is when you let your mind just go unrestrained. And I and I let my mind go unrestrained thinking about the money in the vault. And I was like, oh, I can just play around with this money. It's not, you know, and eventually those thoughts become reality. So I always watch my thoughts on certain things. And I I took $50,000 and I lost it 
at the casino during my lunch hour in Detroit. That was a you know a, a changing point in my life because I was always kind of a good kid, you know, the good kid, the kid that got good grades, mm-hmm. graduated college, the first one in my in my family, and all these other things, you know. So being in trouble for for um, embezzlement was was huge, you know. Now the thing with storytelling, when I got into storytelling, like all these experiences in life, that experience, divorce experiences, you know, experiences that coming up and how we grew up. I, I allowed myself the creative uh, freedom just to be honest. I call it brutally honest. Be brutally honest about myself, being vulnerable about those stories. It takes time to tell a story like that because you have to think and you have to adjust and think like, okay, if I tell this story, it pretty much commits you to the arts because you can't really <laughs> can't take the story back. You know, Not going to go into retail banking after that. Yeah, you're not going back into banking again or investing or nothing like that. So the thing is, I told the story and uh, really the intention in telling the story was helping others. So having an intention behind the story of letting others know that they're not alone because I did lose a friend. I don't know if it was to gambling, but also I know the feelings and thoughts that I had during that time frame thinking that life is over and it's not. It wasn't at all. So, yeah. So, but when was the first time you got on a stage to tell a story? First time I got on stage to tell a story would have been at the Martin Luther King Library at, I I think it's 45th on Michigan Avenue, 45th in in Chicago. And they had like a writer's program and I I wrote a story and I read it and uh, and I kind of liked it. I like doing that. Yeah. Other than that, I may have told stories back when I was a kid and stuff like that. But that was the first, like, modern time of telling stories. Yeah, but now you, what you do for a living is you're a storyteller. Well, in addition to running a podcast and and workshops and everything else that you do. But really, that's who you are. But I want to know, like, what did it feel like the very first time to be brave enough to step up and say, I'm going to tell the story? And what story did you tell? I had moved to the north side of Chicago and it was this, um, they had all these little, like I say, Chicago is like an incubator city. They have all these little spots to storytelling, improv, comedy, you know, literary scene, all these different scenes, poetry, you know, slam poetry was started here. So all these things going on. And this one lady named Dana Norris, she had a uh, thing called Story Club. And I remember I saw it, me and my, me and my girlfriend at the time, we was walking and I saw this little, flyer says story club people reading and writing and I had started writing these stories so I went to that and I had a story called my father's camera it was a fictional story basically now it reads like it's a um like it's a true story and at the end I'm on the south side of Chicago in a in a in a in a neighborhood and I'm taking pictures of people and somebody comes up to me and say you know uh, what, wh- why are you taking pictures over here? You know, kind of like in my face and that's the end of the story. So, um, and I still tell that story to this day. Like that's one of my first stories and I still tell that story. My father left me his camera. It was in a boxy aluminum case with two latches in the front that locked. It also had latches on the side that didn't lock. 
to unlock it, you have to get your fingernail under the little notches of the combination wheel and flick them to seven and seven and one more seven. Then get your fingers under the levers and pull. Then the latches would loosen and you could open it. The side levers, just get your finger out of those, no combination. I love the whole idea of just, you know, being mid-30s and jumping in and seeing a flyer and just going to it. If you had ignored that thing in the inside of you that said, go tell that story, we would all be worse off. But you in particular, did it occur to you not to answer that flyer? Did you think like, did you think twice, oh, maybe I won't? Or were you like, finally, thank Jesus, I can go up and start telling a story now? I had attitude, right? So I had attitude to what I do. And and it comes from playing sports. It comes from, like in Detroit, I was big into the hip hop hip-hop community. So all these things is the attitude that I approach it with. So when I was telling that story, like the first stories, the first, my father's camera, when I go on stage or, you know, coffee shop microphone, it's almost as though I was meant to be there. I always looked at comedians, like open mic comedians. And I did, I tried comedy for a little bit, but they would be looking at their feet or looking at the paper or a little nervous. I'm not saying I don't feel nerves, but if I'm going to do it, you know, I'm all in. You you get what I'm saying? And that's just how I even all in. I took $50,000. If if I'm going to do it. Hey, I, why take a thousand? Go to just grab it all out of the sun. so. So I'm more like a. Um, <laughs> it, and it was funny because the first time I told a story at the Dana Norris Story Club, and we're good friends now. I went up there, and she thought I was. She thought I was somebody. You know, she like, well, can I get you back oh. to come back to the story? I'm like, well, this is my first time telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going with that kind of a uh, 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 demeanor when I'm doing the thing, and I just I just always looked at that, and I said, why why the person looking at their feet? Why don't they just just do it instead of um, pulling back? You know. So I've always kind of had that that uh, attitude. I I love that I I'm meant to be here, you know, and I think that's such an interesting way to navigate to say I I'm. Even if I'm just like you were brand new doing this, it's like I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to stand up here and tell this story. I'm, you know, and I think it's really powerful not to wait for permission and go all in. I mean, it's really a powerful thing for our listeners to hear, particularly those who are just trying to get themselves going with it. And those of us who are trying to get into a new medium or something like that, just go all in and do it. So tell me a little bit about your creative process. When you want to make something, what does it look like for you? Um, you know, I think some things are are, are gifts and some things are are uh, learned and it, or it's a mixture of all of it. For me, I, I do have a, a good memory of feelings and I and I, I I feel those things. You know, I trust the feelings that I had during certain moments in my life when I when I woke up as a kid and my mom and dad were arguing and I'm yelling at my dad to leave my mom alone, you know what I'm saying? I I can see those things and I can feel them and I can put them in paper. So, so those are one of the things that I think kind of just is a gift. 
And what I do to kind of find those stories is just is just remember those moments. And, and, and a lot of times those moments will come back to me on certain things, like it'll be a serendipitous thing or a, um, or a deja vu. Like I'll see something and it'll remind me and I'll say, oh, talk about when my mom broke her arm at my baptism, you know, and all the details that kind of went into that. And one of the things that I know will happen will be someone else will remember these moments in their life. Because a lot of those things are relatable and we've all had some experiences that are that are the similar, you know, they're not the same, but they're very similar uh, relationship wise, feeling wise, the expressions, the things we feel on the inside. And I'll just try to explain them honestly from my point of view. But I, my intention is for others to kind of go into their mind and think about the experiences that they had as well. that may be similar to that, you know. As we all know, the more specific you get, the more universal the story becomes. And it's like, you just hit that out of the park every time, Shannon. That means a every lot. Every time. That means a lot. But I, I, I do know that that's, a, that's definitely something that I, I, I hone in on and I respect. Like my own intuition, I respect my experiences mm-hmm. that I'm going through. And I try to be honest with myself about it. What am I truly feeling? If I'm disgusted, tell that, you know, because I think that honesty will will shine through more than me just saying what I think everybody wants to hear. You know, like if we're going through divorce and and the other person's bad and I'm the good one. But no, let me if I can tell the story, if if I really feel like I'm the bad one, I'm just kind of. Yeah. Tell that story, you know, and people may not like you in the story. But if we be honest with ourselves as the listener, as the audience, as whoever, you know, be like, you know, I've done some bad things, too, or I, I, I can relate to that feeling of wanting to be a better father, a better husband, those things, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So I would encourage all of our, the listeners to look at your TEDx talk, you know, which is really kind of underscoring what you're talking about right now. It's called a simple and honest story. And it's, it's a really fantastic sort of overview of what makes a story good and why you would tell a story in the first place. It's that vulnerability. And this is the most important point I make is if you're struggling in life, and somebody here is, if you feel like you're failing at everything, you can't win for losing, your honesty about it may be your way out. The bigger your failures, the better your story. Now, if you can harness and channel that story, it could affect millions, possibly change your life maybe even change the world. We'll get back to the second half of our conversation in a moment, but right now I want to tell you about our sponsor, Interabang Books, a Dallas-based independent bookstore with a terrific online collection. At Interabang, their dedicated staff of book enthusiasts will guide you on your search for knowledge and the excitement of discovery. Shop their curated collection online at interabangbooks.com. That's Interabang, I-N-T-E-R-A-B-A-N-G, books.com. 
Well, what's interesting is you have a very interesting blend, uh, Shannon, of just being so vulnerable, but there's humor that gets laced through your stories as well, which can kind of be a, a reprieve, you know, when you're in that <laughs> space of profundity. Do you write your thoughts down on a notebook? Do you come home and put them all on a computer? Do you just keep them in your head? Like, what does it look like for you? Yeah, creative process. I use the same notebook, the same pens that I use for everything. Yeah. And then I I, I use my phone a lot, my uh, notes in my phone, because ideas are come as I'm kind of going through life and normal things, even when I'm hanging out with different people. But I'll, I'll take a note just to remember to jog my memory. And I keep a um, a file in my notes, you know, called ideas. Yeah. And I'll just, sometimes I'll go to those or they'll be nagging me and I'll, I'll write it from there. I've started writing stuff on my whiteboard as well, like stories that I may want to work on at some point. Um, so I, I do keep a lot of notes. It's not a um, any kind of, well, it may be organized. It's organized for me from my standpoint. <laughs> and everything I do is, I like a list. I'm a list person. You know, I use lists pretty much in every single way possible, even with my storytelling, my creativity. Uh, stories, I'll start the story with outlines. I used to just start a story, but I noticed that those will take so long to write. But if I outline it, which can be a rough outline of saying, you know, uh, my dad, I get my dad's camera. Uh, I, I I try to play around with some ideas. I put the camera away. I go around the city and it ends on the south side of Chicago. You know, I'll just kind of outline yeah. those five things and then I'll see where that story takes me from the outline. So I do I do outline as well. And that's that's my process. When you're on stage, do you memorize anything or are you just riffing? Everything is memorized to the T. Yeah. So in that memorization is I have a process for that. So I'll 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 read the story. I'll try to tell the story into the microphone and then um listen to it on the microphone. And this is one thing that I do, I know I had a story if I can write the story out. Now that depends on how long it is. I remember like you listened to that TEDx. Mm -hmm. I was writing that story down or the TEDx down the whole speech, writing it, you know, longhand in my notebook and just writing it all out right before I had to go on stage. I was trying to finish it because I know if I can write it, I got it. It's in my head. Yeah. And once I have it totally memorized, now I can play around with the audience a little bit, especially if I'm doing it the second or third time because I do audience participation. So I will go off script and play with the audience some and then go back on script. So I love to have it totally memorized in that way. I do the same thing. I have it yeah. in my DNA. If a story's in my DNA, then I can just do whatever I want to it when I'm on stage and respond yeah. better to the audience. No doubt. But I'll say this, like, I look at stories as as songs. So, so because I, I used to do hip hop, so we used to put all these... these um, 
a thousand different demo songs together in basements and in Detroit in the nineties, you know, uh, late, late eighties to, to, to the late nineties and even into two thousand. So we would do all these songs and you wanted to move to the song, you know, uh, the, the culture then was the hip hop shop, St. Andrews, these kind of like iconic places now, you know, uh, Eminem made movies about it. People making TV shows about Jay Dilla and, and his legacy in hip hop. So all these things were like, these were the people who I was kind of coming up around and we were seeing each other doing the hip hop thing. So when I do music, you got to memorize a rhyme, right? So you memorize a rhyme and when you say the rhyme, you don't say it as though a memorized rhyme, yeah. you know, you say the rhyme from your heart and from your spirit and from uh, a certain, certain uh, attitude that you may have with it. So in the same way I did that, I do my stories. I memorize the story, but when I'm saying the story, I'm not saying, I'm saying it with timing. You know, I've always, I've heard some things about my timing, but that's from music, you know? So, yeah. so those things all come along with, uh, with that, that training in hip hop as well. Okay. This is a fantastic segue into what you're doing on YouTube right now. You know, I can get really like nervous about adopting new media. I mean, you were the one that held my hand and said, go to the podcast convention, Trisha, go to the podcast convention. Because I'm like, do I do that now? I mean, so you were so integral in helping me just feel more comfortable in doing this as a medium. But you have this great quote, don't let these youngins get too far away from us. Plug into the new stuff or the latest stuff. And I just cracked up. It was like, you're right. You know, <laughs> you were right. For a lot of us, it's like, seems so unreachable. Talk about how you finally stepped into that world of saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to like get on TikTok. I'm going to do these stories. I'm going to like talk about that. Can't let everything get so far away from us. And we got to kind of stay with the now. We don't want to be the we don't want to be the ones wearing, the, I mean, pleated pants might be back in somewhat, but we don't want to <laughs> be the one doing stuff from the standpoint of being, you know, dinosaurs in a sense. So, so when I look at things like TikTok and I wish, you know, it's always 2020, you know, I wish I was looking at what my daughter was doing and probably, <laughs> but I always thought, ah, that's for my, that's for the kids, you know, but the one thing is, was just finding my lane within it. So, cause I know I'm not going to be dancing. I'm not going to be doing too many, um, like weird things. If I can find a way to do storytelling, within these platforms. And I saw a friend of mine named Aaron Califato, right? He does a, mm -hmm. a podcast called Seven Minute Stories. And he had been playing around with YouTube and, and Instagram and these things. And then one day I, I looked at his thing and it had like a, it had like 700,000 views on one of his shorts. And it was just him telling a story about his granddad uh, wanting dandelion salad at a restaurant and remembering that his mother used to make that when they didn't have much money. They'd go out in the yard and pick dandelions and they cook them and they had dandelion salad or something like that. And it, 700,000 became 2 million and 2 million became 6 million. And then it was 10 million. And then it kept going and it was 15 million people had saw 
that simple little one minute story wow. about his granddad. And I was like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> if he telling stories, I don't have to dance. I was like, he got 15 million from stories. And I told him, I said, Hey, cause actually he followed a lot of my stories. So I was like, Hey, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow your lead in this. And he was like, have at it, Shannon. You know, I, I appreciate your stories. So I started telling like the one minute stories mm. and I saw traction within those in telling one minute stories. I like the, um, the economy of it. You know, if we, we love writing and storytelling and we find it a challenge to have economy of words. So using that, that love of, of writing and literature, I just, I have that kind of mindset to the TikToks and the, the Instagram reels and the YouTube shorts. And then I want to broaden that to be able to bring the stories that we tell on, on stage um, and then on our podcast to take those stories to the YouTube uh, audience as well. And I'm still, I'm still tweaking it and learning, but I know it'll grow because the stories, like we said earlier on, they are universal and they, they will, you know, and it's a lot of storytelling. I like, I, I listen, I watch Swoozy. Swoozy is, is I think he got probably 10 million subscribers, but he tells stories and little cartoons that go along with them. But uh, storytelling lives on YouTube and all these platforms as well. How did you come up with, I'm going to do a one minute story about what day of the week you would be and I'm going to be a Tuesday and explain why you're not the other days of the week. It's brilliant. I, I think every all of our ideas are kind of like appropriation. Like we can we can take them from somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So you say you were painting in the past. Some of the things, or you still paint probably, but the, some of the things you painted at at the time in school are stories, right? Uh -huh. So so you can kind of take some of the old stuff and make it newer again. Yeah. You know, like I haven't told my gambling story on YouTube yet. But I, it, it'll eventually become something on YouTube, yeah. you know, if it's a series. I haven't told – well, I told some of my church stories, but I'll think of those and I'll say, okay, let me do a series on those. Or some of the music stories and want to do a series on those. So the Tuesday story, I've always just thought that. Like, I've always liked Tuesdays. Like, Fridays and Saturdays always felt too much nervous energy. I'm an <laughs> introvert. I'm kind of like – you know, I don't, I don't like any, any anxiousness, anxiety bothered me on certain things. So I'm like, oh, it's Friday night. You know, I got to go crazy. I'm like, ah, but Tuesdays, and it's this song, like it's going up on a Tuesday with Drake and all that kind of stuff. So I relate to that song. I'm like, yeah, if I go out on a Tuesday, I can walk around if I'm going to a party or something. It's not as many, it's not as crowded as yeah, a Friday yeah, or Saturday. Yeah. It's more my vibe. This is more the loungy, chill <laughs> Tuesday. It's not Monday. Monday suck. You know, it's Tuesday. Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday, okay. I like you eating tacos. So, so when I think about Tuesday, I'm thinking like that's a good day. And then uh, striving to be a Thursday one day. A Thursday, yeah. Thursdays are <laughs> that's special. What just cracked yeah. me up. Yeah, striving to be a Thursday. Yeah. What I love about the work you do is it's so based in the everyday. The stories become profound, but they're really about just like 
what I'm what I'm looking at every day. That's why that late bloomer story was so beautiful because you were watching this man tend to this garden and it becomes this obvious metaphor, but it was just the details of the every day of watching this man work. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's as an artist, I don't have to wait for this gigantic lightning bolt of an idea. I just have to look at what's in front of me and then just, just notice. I just need to notice, you know, and all of us, if we're wondering how to get started, just notice, you know, that's, and that's what you're masterful at. No, that's, that's a great point there to notice. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Shannon, tell me, how do you get through those rough patches? You know, how do you keep yourself fueled to keep going? For me, the, the rough patches are the actual fuel, you know, that, Mm. that is the, the raw material for storytelling the 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 hard things of life nobody wants to hear the everything went perfect and i could i i made it and now we're uh closing in on uh 10 million and (laughs) and there's no cares in the world even with this i mean you can have a a lot in its rough patches you get what i'm saying so so it's like those are the things that fuel stories for me. Um, um, when I see, not saying things go bad, but when I when I see like challenges, when I see a heartbreak, or um, man, dating is 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 different when you're older now and you've been divorced two times and you got two kids and and you know explaining what you do for work <laughs> may be interested. You don't want to really talk about that. Those are the things that make good storytelling for me because I know I'm not the only one in that predicament. Mm-hmm. And when I do a story on it, I know I'm not going or or somebody's going to relate to it or it's going to explain some kind of life that somebody else isn't living. They may aspire to or they may hope that they never fall into, you know. So so those are the things, like those challenges are the things that make make good stories for me. Like that's the thing that I'm looking for. If I just stay in my house and nothing happens really, um, it's hard to find stories in that, even though it might be a story in that as well. But I, I like the challenges in a sense. I like the the um those trying times. And that's what I find too, when I'm interviewing, like I do interviews and I try to, uh, while I create podcasts for other companies and organizations. And when I'm doing that, I want that out of the person that I'm interviewing. Yeah, I want to find out what challenges they have. Like a lot of times people have answers that they're used to giving and they want to, you know, uh, promote their business. But I'm trying to find those things where is this the tenth business? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that I think is more interesting than we're closing in on a billion this year. You know, I think being the tenth business is more interesting. <laughs> and then when you hear the closing in on a billion, it, it, it's it's like wow. And the person who's in that second business, they can listen to it and be like, oh, 
you know, I'm yeah. on the road. I'm on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is say, you know, we all then just come out of the womb being artists and we know exactly what we're doing. And it's such a clear road ahead of us. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in this. And we're just, we're just, this is how we make it happen. And this is what we do. And, and, you know, anything is material and we turn it into a story and, and put it back out there. What are you working on right now that scares you? I'm leaning into homemade stories, thinking that I have to do something different. You know, homemade stories, I started back in 2010. And that's been, what was that, 13 years now. So I'm leaning into that instead of doing a bunch of other different things. Because uh, I had had ideas that I have to, to switch it up or I have to become a crime fiction podcast or, you know, do these other true crime stuff, you know. But I'm leaning into the into the homemade story. So with YouTube, those yeah. those reels that you're seeing, also being more consistent with my podcast, I get a lot of um, interest from the podcast. Like people, are, like it has a it has a small cult cult following in that sense. But at the same time, I get a lot of different business from it as well. So so just leaning into the podcast and into the brutally honest storytelling. It's been my focus and um, consistency is the thing that uh, <laughs> that probably scares me more than anything. Just being consistent instead of uh, uh, so so haphazard, just sticking to a system and staying on schedule is the thing that I'm really working on. Man, you and me both. I mean, it's, it is because the good news is we're artists and we're in charge of our time and the bad news is we're artists and we're in charge of our time. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I just love your stories. I just love your stories and I love the work that you're doing. There's not only a sense of recognition in your stories, but there also feels like healing in them and hope in them. And that's that's a good thing to be putting out in the world these days. That's a beautiful thing to hear. Because that's the intention. Good. That's that's the intention. And the same with you. I do feel like um, uh, a friendship, and I'm happy that the friendship that we have together, that we can talk about creative things. And it's like this. It's like an understanding, someone who understands. Because we haven't, you know, from the sense of whatever hit it big means. I don't know what the hit it big things mean, but sometimes I just feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to do. And... Everything else will take care of itself yeah. in some ways. Now, not saying that I don't have to, you know, step one, step two, step three, but at the same time, I do feel like I'm in the right spot. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote that story, Late Bloomer, I've been that way forever. It wasn't, it's not something new. When I was six years old, I may have been late at some <laughs> of the things that the other six year olds were at. So as a storyteller, you know, at, at 47, I feel like, oh, I'm right in my stride. I'm still growing and I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, right at the point I'm supposed to be in certain ways, you know, of course. Um, but I feel like we, we, we relate in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and then our creative um, conversations always, always fuel me. And I, I love, I love our differences and I love our, 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 our similarities as well. I think that this is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Same here. The common ground. 
I tell you, creativity yeah. gives you all kinds of common ground. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Shannon. We're going to have to have you back to get an update, but thank you so much for coming. Most definitely. Most definitely. I love being here. Great. Thanks. I could spend hours talking and listening to Shannon. He inspires me, and he leaves me with a better perspective on my work and my life. He also gets me thinking. Here's some questions for us to ponder. First, what's your attitude when you approach your work? Are you looking at your feet, or are you all in? Second, what are everyday things that you notice that might inform your work? And last... How do you handle the rough patches? Can they be fuel for your creative life? Make sure to check out the show notes for links to some of Shannon's stories and follow him on Instagram and YouTube at Shannon Kaysen. Subscribe to his podcast too, Homemade Stories. If you haven't had a chance to download the No Time to Be Timid Manifesto yet, make sure to visit my website, trisharosebert.com. While you're there, please reach out and give us some feedback about the show. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'm excited to announce a live virtual workshop I'll be conducting on Thursday, June 29th. No Time to Be Timid's Kickstart Your Summer Creativity. Many people begin the summer with big plans for a creative project, but never manage to get started to see their idea through. Don't regret the work you might have done. Instead, feel the rush that comes from doing it. And this two-part live workshop will identify a realistic creative goal for the summer, the steps you need to take to make it happen, and how to overcome the obstacles that may appear. You'll receive motivational emails in mid-July and mid-August, And you'll have accountability, too, because we'll meet again right before Labor Day to review our progress. For more information, go to my website, trisharosebert.com slash no time to be timid. And make sure to follow me on Instagram and other social media sites at Trisha Rose Burt. Please join us for episode three with Perry Howard, painter, sculptor, and sound artist, whose creative journey has taken her not only around the world, but also deep within. She shares some terrific insight on how to sustain a creative life. Make sure to tune in. And remember, this is no time to be timid. No Time to be Timid is written and produced by me, Trisha Rose Burt. And our sound engineer is Adam Arnone of Echo Finch. Many thanks to Mia Ravagno, who provided creative direction for season two. If you like what you hear, please spread the word, subscribe to the show, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. No Time to Be Timid is a presentation of I Will Be Good Productions. Productions.